0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking again about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to be talking about some things that. uh, that uh, people may not want to hear. We always do. And uh, we may be talking about things that our people are ready to hear, which uh, is dependent upon the people, because we're going to talk about them anyway. <laughs> so, uh, the an article was uh, passed around a little bit on the network. I probably should have sent a copy of it out to everybody because that's going to be the topic at least where we start today, which was uh, so- Socialism Contradicts Freedom of Religion, uh, Why Amish Do Not Pay Social Security Taxes. And uh, it, it's an article that, uh, I was trying to think of where it appeared, but uh, uh, armstrongeconomics.com, uh, World News, Taxes, Socialism. It was a little insightful, could be a little bit more insightful if people understood the law more, which is always what we like to talk about uh, when we're talking about the Bible. You really can't understand the Bible unless you understand the law at the time that the Bible was written and the Acts of the Apostles took place, what was the conflict between Rome and early Christians. And most Christians haven't got a clue why Christians were being persecuted uh, in the early days of the church. What was the crime they were being accused of? Actually, one of the crimes they were being accused of is atheism. Believe it or not, that's actually one of the crimes that Christians were accused of and charged with was atheism. They didn't believe in the gods of Rome. But, of course, who were the gods of Rome? Well, Caesar was a god. And he appointed gods throughout the empire. And those gods were judges, imperial judges, who decided imperial crimes. Today, uh, I guess in the news, they've got uh, Gorsuch is now, uh, I don't know, hundred-some appointee to the Supreme Court. He's going to be sworn into the Supreme Court. And he literally, by the definition of the word gods, at the time of Jesus Christ, both the word for the Hebrew gods and Roman gods, Gorsuch is a god. That's right. He's a ruling judge. He is going to decide what is good and evil for you along with all the other judges on the Supreme Court. They are gods. They are ruling judges who decide what is right, what is wrong. And they are able to appoint them because you elected men who were the chief executive officers of the United States and they have the power to choose the Supreme Court and that is the Supreme Court are the gods of the world which you have established for yourself in the United States and of course they have they have gods in other worlds and they have actually international courts now that decide issues. Uh, I was just, just reading today, uh came across somebody who, uh, Raif Badawi, I guess it is Badawi, sometimes called Raif Badawi, and he's a Saudi Arabian, and he's a writer, and he, he said something um about uh, the university in uh, Saudi Arabia being kind of a den of terrorists because they were promoting so many terrorist ideas and he blogged it. And uh, so, of course, he was arrested uh, because that's apostasy. And uh, that normally requires a death penalty. They didn't give him a death penalty. Originally, they gave him seven years, then they gave him ten years. Without him doing anything additional, they just decided, ah, seven years is not enough. Let's add another three years on, and they put him into jail, and they also added to it seven hundred lashes with a whip and uh but then they increased that now to a thousand lashes with a whip. He's only received fifty. He was supposed to receive them all over a twenty day period, which, in my mind, would have killed him it would have killed almost anybody. He would have been whipped to death for his beliefs and uh, for rather benign, by our standards, a statement uh, because he didn't say – he just saying that some people that are gathering in that university are, uh, you know, encouraging uh, terrorism. And the truth is he was right, but he said it, and you're not allowed to say that in Saudi Arabia. And so the same government that we are constantly, uh, at least under the Bush administration, were hugging and kissing on both cheeks, does this kind of thing on a regular basis. And we think, oh, that's absolutely horrible, you know, and it's terrible that they do this just because, I mean, originally they, um, they arrested him for what he blogged and interviewed him for a couple hours and released him, but... They froze all his bank accounts and refused to allow him to leave the country. I think his wife divorced him legally and then fled to Canada. That's where she's at, but uh, uh, he's still in in prison. This is all in the last few years. Well, last decade it started. uh, I think in 2008 it started. And this is just one little tiny thing that goes on in Saudi Arabia. I mean, they cut people's heads off. They cut their hands off uh, for minor little infractions uh, rape is literally legal in that country slavery is legal in that country uh and it is an abomination of human rights what that's another crime they accused him of is that uh, actually they accused his lawyer of they've arrested his lawyer now because his lawyer uh, allowed a human rights organization into the country to you know and talk to them because of the abuses of um of Badawi, uh, who's about 33-year-old writer and blogger and evidently in apostasy <laughs> in Saudi Arabia. But they won't even let him out of the country. He could easily go to another country, but they won't let him out. He's a prisoner in his own country. That is what's happened worldwide. Many, you know, we we've saw us older people growing up, saw the people escaping. Uh, communist Soviet Union, uh, going through the Berlin Wall and jumping the wall and smuggling their their fiance out in in the trunks and in suitcases and all the different stories of people trying to escape communism and uh, and being shot at. I mean, I had friends in school who uh, traipsed through, you know. Two, three feet deep snow carrying their little brother uh, and, and their family escaping with machine gun bullets zipping over their heads, uh, escaping from Hungary. These are real things. People were trying to escape from these countries and now we embrace countries like that as if they are our allies, which of course, you know, Saudi Arabia has never voted one time for anything that belonged to the United States. Our values and our perception of things is constantly changing because of what we're told, because of what we hear in the media and in school and in our communities. The idea of religion itself, as, you know, we've talked about many times, is the definition of religion has changed. If you redefine a half a dozen common words, religion, democracy, republic, You won't know what people are talking about. You won't know history, even if you were to read history. Today, in your public schools, millions of children are being graduated who have no knowledge of history. No understanding of history. uh, Poor understanding of the definition of words. No understanding that the definition of words have changed in the last 200 years. They simply are unaware of this. And you can't go out and re-educate them. I am constantly trying to do it, but who is supporting our effort to show people the truth who is helping us get out there in the media where we can show people what is being kept from them we we live in a brave new world we live in a world far greater uh, oppression with far greater oppression than we saw in the book 1984 And people don't know what's going on. And they they lack knowledge. They are in bondage like they have never been before. They are prisoners in their own country. They cannot travel around. In every country of the world. There is no free countries in the world. There is an appearance of freedom. A delusion of freedom. But there is no freedom anywhere in the world. We can point at places like Saudi Arabia and... A lot of other countries and say, oh, well, we're not as bad as those guys. But the reality is we are bad in this country as well and in all countries. And, and this is important, it's getting worse. It's not getting better. And it's not going to get better without knowledge and understanding and a conviction to go the right way. And that right way is the way of Christ. We have. Millions of people who think they are Christians today in America. And they are actually doing absolutely the opposite of what Jesus said to do. They are radically doing the opposite of what Jesus said to do. And that should be no surprise to us because when Jesus came to Judea and to what was known as the world, the Roman world, Jews, for the most part, were doing absolutely the opposite of what Moses said to do. They were doing contrary to what the teachings of Moses were. They thought they were doing the teachings of Moses. They said they had Moses, that they followed Moses, they followed Abraham, but they were actually doing absolutely the opposite of what Moses said to do. Today, we have a country they call Israel over in the Middle East. And people think that, you know, these are the chosen people, etc., etc. And these are true Jews and all this, uh, liter- well, I might as well say it, nonsense. The fundamental laws in that country we call Israel today are absolutely opposed to the teachings of Moses. Absolutely contrary to the teachings of Moses who said you should have just weights and measures in your purse they don't have that they have iron coin and and literally federal reserve notes we just heard today that you know they're they bombed assad in syria because assad uh, supposedly uh, gassed his people after inviting UN inspectors into his countries within Ten miles of the location of the U.N. inspectors, he supposedly gassed his own people. Maybe he did. I don't know. There's a lot of people in the U.S. American government who say that is nonsense, that he didn't do it. But we're told he did, and we're told that we the, the, the government has to bomb them to teach him a lesson. They, of course, deny having done it. And we have already found just two years ago... That uh, they were accused of the same thing and it ended up that it wasn't them, that it was actually the terrorists who had used the gas warfare on their own people, the chemical warfare on their own people, to make Assad look bad. And, you know, that was supposedly proven. Now, you know, I didn't prove it, but there's a lot of people on the ground. And if if you watch these things closely, there are certain people you know you can trust and there are other people you know you cannot trust. And the people you can trust say that you're being fed false information. What is really the problem with Syria? If you actually go on the street and talk to the people openly, the he's actually Assad is very popular in his country. Yeah, he's a dictatorship, but he's facing you know a, a lot of problems in his country. I don't know if the guy's a good guy or not. I don't. I never met him, but. The the reality is is in my opinion, just looking at the facts, and again looking at law in that country, the economy of that country, how it operates, the and looking back in history at places everywhere from Panama to East Timor to uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, all these countries had one thing in common. Even Grenada, all these countries had one thing in common. They had no Federal Reserve, no central bank. <laughs> and Syria has no central bank. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, he's they don't depend on the petrol, U.S. petrol dollar. They it, That's what, you know, when I saw Saddam Hussein say that he was no longer going to sell oil only on the U.S. petrol dollar, that he was going to sell oil to, in euros. Which is mostly, he mostly sold to Europe anyway. He didn't sell to the U.S. But what happened is Europe had to get U.S. dollars to buy oil from Iraq. Well, if he said, well, I'll take euros. They don't need U.S. dollars to buy oil. So suddenly that takes a demand off the U.S. dollar. And that could... Drive the United States into economic chaos, and uh, drive prices up in the United States. So he was he was doomed. And when I heard that, I said that guy's he's 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 not going to exist anymore. They're going to take him out somehow or other. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Same thing with Gaddafi. Gaddafi was trying to create a money system, you know, the denarii, as you know, the price oil and that, and get all of Africa to follow that, well, that would have been devastating to the U.S. dollar, which is hanging by a thread all the time now. I mean, that's a collapse. It's inevitable. Same thing happened in Rome, but people don't know history. And when you study history, again, you need to study the laws at the time. You know, whatever time in history you're studying, you have to study the economy. What What is driving the economy? And then you have to look at, you know, the mindset of the individuals who live in those societies. Then you might know and learn from history. But people don't do that. They look at, you know, they, for, I saw this shifting in schools from trying to study actually the peoples of a particular time Two, the only thing you know about history is so-and-so was president or so-and-so was czar. There was a war here. There was a war there. There was a depression here. There was a depression there. And that's how you marked what was going on in history. You didn't get to know the people themselves. And this is what's happened now in the study of the Bible. People do not know what was going through the minds of Christians. What was actually motivating and driving them what was the conflict of christianity with the society of rome and what where rome was going rome had been a republic for 500 years before christ but by the time christ was born it was no longer a republic the republic was virtually dead it had become an indirect democracy electing emperor after emperor with an electoral college of the senate it had changed the emperor was the commander in chief they had none before The Emperor was the Principas Cevitas. The Emperor was the Appointer of Imperial Judges throughout the Empire. Which, by the word that we see in the Latin text, he was the Apotheos of Rome. He was the Appointer of Gods. All these things were going on in the political environment, in the legal environment, in the social environment of Rome when Christ was born. And Christ came saying, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The kingdom of God, Christianity was called the way. It was a different way to live. And modern Christians have abandoned that way of living. They have abandoned the way of Christ. And they follow after strange doctrines that are contrary to Christ. And the people believe their ministers and the ministers believe what they were taught in their schools. But reality here, I'll blog this, that your modern theological institutions are a den of terrorists to true Christianity. That's right. The modern theological universities and institutions are dens of terrorists to true Christianity. They oppose true Christianity. If Christ was here explaining to them what they've got wrong, they would want to crucify him again. They would want to destroy him in the press. They would want to demean him. They would want to persecute him and his followers all the time claiming that they are following Christ. They, they, Because they do contrary to what Christ actually said to do. And all, almost every religion out there does this. Now, some religions out there actually do some of the things that Christ said to do. Some of the things that the church used to do 100 years ago, they're still doing. And one of those is the Amish. <laughs> so, anyway, we'll take a look at the Amish. Uh, Badawi, by the way, I said he only got his first 50 uh, lashes and they've been postponing it because he'll probably die. Uh, You know, a thousand lashes. You're not going to survive that. In 20 days. That's what it was originally supposed to receive, those thousand lashes over 20 days. So you can just do the math. 20 into a thousand, how many lashes he gets a day. uh, He was going to be dead. There's just no two. He's a little tiny guy. You don't survive that. And so he would never have to be in jail for 10 years. And he would be, gladly leave the country, I believe, uh, and and go to Canada with his wife. <laughs> and uh, as opposed to receiving a thousand lashes. But he's not allowed to. Because he's a prisoner in the state. And the fact is, is, that's the way it is with a lot of people today. You'd be prisoners in the state. They don't want... If you contradict what they... Their doctrine, their teachings, you are go- in every state, they're not going to let you go. And uh, by design, just like when people were escaping for the Berlin Wall. But people aren't trying to escape from the United States yet, at least not very many of them. And the reality is, is there will come a day where you want to escape, but there won't be any place to go. There will be no place to hide. So anyway, we'll take a look at this article uh, of Socialism Contradicts Freedom of Religion. Why Amish do not pay social security tax. First, just a reminder, religion is not what you think about God. That's the way it's defined today. If you look it up in a dictionary, what you think about a supreme being, that's the way they define religion. Religion 200 years ago was defined as the performance of your duty. Religion was not what you think. It was a performance of duty. And that duty was your duty to God and your fellow man. And we know by Christ's teaching that your duty to your fellow man was to love him. And the word they use there for love is translated many, many times charity in the Bible. So you were to help take care of the needy of your society... In pure religion, through charity, unspotted by the world, and the word world there is the word that means constitutional order or system of government. Unspotted by forced contributions. You were to take care of the needy of your society. That was religion. And socialism is the religion you get when you don't have that religion, and the modern church today does not have that religion. They do not take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. We'll be right back and tell you one of the keys to the kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I had a number of notes. uh, Somebody had asked me to uh, talk about uh, dreams and uh, interpretation of dreams and how you interpret dreams. And, uh, boy, that would be a touchy subject. But I did put some notes together for that. But I'm postponing that for maybe next week unless I come up with a better subject. Uh, I also was going to talk a little bit about some of the anti... uh, homeschooling laws that have come about Uh, there's at least two countries in the world that you go to jail if you try to homeschool your children and uh, at least two in Europe which is uh, Sweden and Germany and those laws all came in to being under the democratic socialists uh, and Adolf Hitler and and his influence. You know, Somebody once said the anti-homeschooling laws was one of the general application, not meant to target a specific group, but rather something that applied evenly across the board. Now, Holder was explaining this when they were, uh, was it the Reiki family, um, uh, who were escaping Germany because they would go to jail if they homeschooled their children and they didn't want to send their kids to public school because they teach things like witchcraft and humanism, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Well, the reality is, that is totally fiction to think that uh, homeschooling laws are not targeting targeting a specific group. It is targeting a specific group. It's targeting homeschoolers. <laughs> that's a, I mean, that's just obvious. Uh, people who want to teach their children themselves, rather than turn them over to an institution that may have all kinds of ideas contrary to what they believe. Even if they didn't, the mere idea of homeschooling your children alters the relationship in in your family uh, because of the fact that you take over the absolute responsibility of the education of your children. Which, of course, the Bible tells you to do. It says, fathers, teach thy children. It doesn't say, fathers, turn thy children over to other institutions to be taught. So, homeschooling is a fundamentally religious idea. And to make a law against homeschooling is to make a law against religion. It also is to make a law against family. Because why would they do that? Why Why did they even care if you educate your children at home? I mean, if you want to make sure that the children are learning, reading, writing, and arithmetic, which is education, you could impose some sort of teaching requirement where ch- you know, that the child has to pass some basic math and reading skill tests, et cetera, to see that you are actually teaching your children. But of course, that would have to, is you would have to assume that the state has a fundamental interest in the child itself, that the child is a person of the state, that, that the child belongs to the state, somehow, at least a portion of the child. In the international human rights list of rights, the parents have the right to determine the education of the child. So homeschooling would be a fundamental right according to the international list of human rights. But they outlaw homeschooling. Why? Because and they tell you this because they don't want anybody believing in anything other than the state. Because the state is a religion. That that's what the state is. It's a religion. It's a system of belief in which prescribes duties to government and the gods of government uh, that you must perform under penalty of going to jail receiving lashes <laughs> whatever it is uh or being fined he was also fined that uh, that saudi who uh, questioned the what was going on in the university he was he was uh fined and uh, supposedly going to get a thousand lashes and 10 years in jail because he had the audacity to question what they were doing in the university. But anyway, uh, the person here writes uh, concerning homeschooling. Next, because there were secular reasons for the compulsory attendance uh, law, even if it had been deemed persecution, it wouldn't have been persecution suffered because of their religion. Yes, it would. Because the religion says that they were, had to be responsible for the education of their children. That's what the Bible says. And has said that for thousands of years. Fathers, teach thy sons. And nowhere does Jesus say, fathers, don't teach thy sons. Turn thy sons over to Caesar to be taught. Come on now. Pay attention. What is the fundamental interest of Caesar in your children? is Caesar the father of your children well of course Jesus did say something about that and every single person who goes to the theological school should understand this somebody was just writing again wrote me about uh uh somebody who's uh, the voice from the desert he he calls himself and he he questions the the veracity and authenticity of uh modern churches and religions but then he goes on in one of his, I think it's the second video he put up, and he starts saying that uh, to call no man father means you're not even to call your own natural father an authority f- in your life, a father. Once you've grown up, you shouldn't look to your natural father as the father of your family. That's absolutely ridiculous. That guy knows nothing about history. Nothing about the language of the time that the Bible was written. Nothing about uh, what that meant when Jesus said, Call no man on his father. Because in the Greek text, you see the, the word patri, which was used also in Latin to address every single senator of Rome. Everybody knew. that You would see it in letters. Patri Cicero. Patri Seneca. That, that was the title of, of a senator of rome who elected the patronus of rome the our father who art in rome patronus meaning our father and jesus says you don't pray to those fathers but you pray to our father who art in heaven you apply to him for benefits you are not to apply to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other you are to take care of one another through faith hope and charity and the perfect law of liberty Which is what Paul said, which is what Jesus said, which is what even John the Baptist was saying. But your modern preacher doesn't have any idea of that. He says, go to the men who exercise authority one over the other, who take from your neighbor to provide you with benefits. Go to them and apply to them for benefits. Absolutely contrary to what Christ was saying, what John the Baptist was saying, what Moses was saying. Moses said, you don't get your benefits from Pharaoh. You benefit one another through love. Even your enemy you're supposed to love. Give drink to your enemy, he says. Jesus said, love thy enemy. And again, the word love there is the word that we see used as charity. And if you go read our article on the red heifer, you'll understand what that is. But we have scholars out there telling you that the red heifer is... Is a cow with not one single white hair anywhere in its entire body. And they're out there actually raising red heifers, trying to breed absolutely purely red heifers, when they go through every single hair looking for one that has nothing but red hairs, because then they can ship that off to Israel to be sacrificed, and they have sacrificed the red heifer. And they can rebuild the temple. Absolute, utter, stupid nonsense. (laughs) But people are doing this and spending tens of thousands of dollars in order to do that. And if you read our article, you'll know that the sacrifice of the red heifer had nothing to do with a bovine, (laughs) nothing to do with red hair (laughs) whatsoever. Absolutely nothing to do with that any more than you're supposed to take your bread down to the lake and throw it out on the water tomorrow. Because the Bible tells you to cast your bread upon the waters. It doesn't tell you to cast your bread upon the waters. It's a metaphor. Wake up. I mean, these people need to be dope slapped. They are absolutely stupid, ignorant people, and they've got degrees to prove it. And you're listening to them. You actually... There is actually a teaching going around, very popular, very popular amongst Christians, that you don't have to do anything and you're automatically saved. I just had somebody from Colorado tell us that their daughter was told by the minister that she doesn't have to be sorry for what she does wrong because Jesus has already forgiven her. Isn't that absolute utter nonsense? Jesus said, unless you forgive, neither are you forgiven. Period. That's the doctrines of Jesus. You want to get away from that? There's lots of churches out there that will tell you you don't have to do anything to be saved. You just say the magic words and you're saved. It's nonsense. It's absolute utter nonsense. It's total apostasy. But I don't have to sentence you to jail for such apostasy. I don't have to uh, threaten you with a thousand lashes because of such apostasy. You're going to get them. You're, go- you're going to be imprisoned. And you are imprisoned. You're imprisoned in the bondage of Egypt because you've accepted such absolute utter nonsense. that You don't even know what love is. You don't even know who Christ was. So anyway, let's take a look at this article. I promised you we would. And... uh and we'll, We have about an hour and 15 minutes to look at it. So anyway, in 1935, Roosevelt introduced what they, we call the Social Security Act. I've actually not only read the Social Security Act, I read the book by the guy who wrote the Social Security Act. You didn't even know that book existed. And I quote extensively in our articles on employee versus enslaved and uh, articles concerning Social Security, which is not Social secure socialism... <laughs> And uh, tell you how this all works together and how it makes you, brings you into the bondage of Egypt. That's what Social Security does. It You waive a right to a portion of your labor. And that portion will be determined by the United States Congress and the governments which you have chosen for yourself. But it, it goes on in the article to say, however... The Act was described as Old Age Survivors and Disability Insurance. And the author of the Act actually says it was sold as if it was insurance, but it was not insurance. Because the United States government is not an insurance company. So it's not insurance. You can call something a red heifer. It doesn't have to be a red heifer. That's just what you call it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You can call something Christianity, but it may not be really Christianity. Just because you label it that doesn't make it so. Okay. goes on to say, at first the act covered only industry and commerce. It was later extended to include farm operators in 1955. There was actually another inclusion which they don't mention in the article in 1960, which includes professionals like medical people, like doctors. And lo and behold, suddenly you have all kinds of benefits to doctors, you know, where, you know, like Medicaid and Medicare and all these kinds of things start coming into play. All built on this little camel nose that came into the tent we call the Social Security Act. All across the world, similar things were being enacted, national insurance and and social uh, insurance and all these things were coming to play in countries all over the world because and this is one of the things that i found out over the years is that the laws of a country are often not even written by people in that country they have teams of lawyers who write these laws all over the world and they they every one of these countries start following suit so if you have a country that suddenly decides not to have a federal reserve system like Syria, oh, their days are numbered. They're going down. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> and uh, there's none. And you can buck it for a while, but uh, it's going to create havoc. And of course, one of the things that they want to do is create lots of refugees. And of course, they have most of the refugees you see are not really coming from Syria. They're coming from all kinds of other countries, and uh, And there's a reason why. And it's because it's not just the nose of the camel that has gotten into the tent. It's quite a bit. Uh, The SS tax, Social Security tax, was to be a rate of 3% of the income up to an established limit. Uh, That limit would be, you know, if, if you earn anything over a certain amount, it's no longer taxed. And, uh, those numbers have all changed. You're over 14% now. And, uh, and that, even that 3% is not an accurate figure because how they were collected at first, but we won't get into all the details of that. But basically, that's what we, we saw coming into play in 1935, changed again in 1945, and 1955, and 1960. Lots of amendments to it. None of which you people have read <laughs> and know nothing about. Because you are kept in ignorance. But we, we're not going to go, we don't have to go through all of it. But we give you the basic fundamentals in the article employee versus enslave. Because that's what it was. You were signing up for the pharaoh's system where you were going to have to pay 20% of everything you produce into the government. That was what pharaoh said. That he would own 20% of your labor. Well, today, the government owns far more than 20% of the labor of most people. And the only way you can get out of that is to not work at all, (laughs) which a lot of people have decided to do. But anyway, the Amish pay taxes because they believe, the Bible said, paying unto Caesar what is Caesar's. But all taxes are not based on the fact that Caesar just has a fundamental right to take money from the people. You have to remember, for 500 years, there was no Caesar in Rome, yet they had a government. They had a republic. The first Caesar was Augustus, who was Octavius and was given the title of Augustus, Caesar. And also the title of Apotheos, a pointer of gods. And the whole fundamental nature of government changed. And But the people were members of this institution that Caesar was the ruler over. Now, there were some governments at that time that were not subject to Caesar. But uh, that's because the world of Caesar did not reach everywhere. Tarsus was one of those, at least at one time. And there were others. And even Judea. There was a question as to whether Judea, was really, Judea really hadn't been conquered yet. There had an influence had come with the Romans when they were invited in. And we go through this in numerous articles and even in books. Pompey had come at the request of Aristobulus. To defend his crown. But later Pompey decided that Aristobulus didn't have a right to the crown. That actually Hercules had a better claim. Based on Jewish law. And therefore withdrew his support of protecting Aristobulus. Who had invited him in. Hyrcanus did not invite him in. So therefore his presence there was not legitimate. But he could stay there and he invested there. He built harbors there. He built roads there. He built coliseums there. He built temples there. And he developed an interest in Israel. And other kings did look to Caesar for protection. And, of course, that was the camel's nose. But they hadn't been conquered yet as a people. They had instituted a system of social security under Herod. And you could sign up for that. And with including baptism, if you were Jewish, because that was a Jewish tradition. But if you were Roman, you could sign up under the Temple of Roma, also built by Herod. For Social Security, which was run through the government buildings we call temples. Temples like the Saturnalia Temple, the Temple of Saturn. And in order to register there, you would register your birth certificate. You would register when you became of age. And you would begin to sacrifice on those altars. And those altars in those institutions provided social security. For the people who were signed up under this temple or that temple or that temple. Christians didn't sign up under those temples. Christians had another way. That was based on charity. Not forced offerings. That is absolutely clear. Anybody who reads... Jesus Christ objectively knows that he said you are not to be like those other governments who have men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. If you are not striving to create a system of social welfare we call religion based on the performance of your duty through charity, if you're not striving to do that, you're not striving to follow Christ. You're not striving to do what he said you're not striving to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you're not gathering together with a network of volunteer ministers to help take care of the needy of your society, through faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty, you're not pursuing the kingdom of God. You're not seeking the kingdom of God. And you're certainly not seeking the righteousness of God. So, therefore, you are not a follower of Christ, and you're not a Christian. You can tell me all of what you think about God. And, you know, whether there's a rapture or not a rapture or whatever, you know, whatever nonsense, you you know, that you have to keep this day or that day. And you have to wear this clothes and that clothes. You're not a Christian, though. Because you're not seeking the kingdom of God, which is operating by faith, hope and charity and the perfect law of liberty or, as Moses would say, free will offerings. You're not seeking that. You're not gathering together with the intention of practicing pure religion. You know, taking care of the needy of your society unspotted by the world. You still want to go to the world. Pray to the benefactors who exercise authority for benefits. Pray to the fathers of the earth for benefits. And pretend to be praying to Jesus Christ or to your father in heaven for benefits. But you're not striving to be that church set up by Christ, where he thought you did need ministers. He thought you needed to have ministers appointed that would take care of the business of pure religion. You evidently don't think that's necessary, that you can practice pure religion without ministers, connecting you to the next congregation. You just get together with your little groupy group and look at the Bible and decide what you think about God. And you think you're practicing religion. But you don't know what religion is. You're not practicing pure religion. You're not striving and seeking like Jesus said. You're you're brainwashed. You're fooled. You're under a strong delusion. You need to turn around. But anyway... So back to paying taxes. Yeah, if you owe the tax, if your, your parents signed you up, then you may owe the tax. And you need to pay the tax. But if you're going to follow Moses and Jesus Christ, you need to turn around and think a different way. You're going to have to think, I need to glean in the field at night for benefits. I don't. I, it didn't say, if you need something, go to Caesar. He said just the opposite. If you need something, pray to Caesar. He didn't say that. It's not about paying taxes. It's about who's your daddy? Is it your father in heaven? Or is it your father in Washington, D.C. Or in uh, Ontario? Or in Paris? or, Or London? Where's your father? Who's your daddy? This is what it's about. So it says it was in 1956 that the IRS went to tell the Amish... Interesting enough, because farm operators in 1955 were included under this. Before that, they weren't. Went to the Amish, and they were now under Social Security, and they would have to pay. One of the Amish was quoted in November of 1962 in Reader's Digest articles saying, "Allowing quote, allowing our members to shift their interdependence on each other to dependence upon any outside source would inevitably lead to the breaky, breakup of our order. Now, get that wording, break up of our order. He's talking about the Amish being a religious order. I'm not telling everybody to become Amish. I'm just giving you this as an example. The constitutional question, as the article goes on to say, that has never been decided... What happens when the taxing power of government violates the First Amendment and the freedom of religion? It clearly states Congress shall make no laws respecting the establishment of religion and prohibiting the free exercise thereof. What's religion? Let's talk about that when we come back again. What's religion? the question, what is religion? Again, religion is not, as it is defined today, what you think about God. In a vague sort of way, you might turn the term into some sort of religious idea that what you think about God is is key to this thing we call religion. And it, in in a vague sort of way, it is. But religion itself... Paraligion, especially, is the performance of your duty to God. That is what religion is. You're not practicing religion because you think something. You're practicing religion because you do something. Modern Christian religion is telling you you don't have to do anything. But that's not what Christ said. Christ said it's not those who say, but those who do. Modern religion says it's what you say. You say you believe in Jesus and you've confessed it. But the fact is is what you do is what you confess. If you say, I love, honor, and cherish this woman when you're marrying, but you run out with all kinds of other women you don't take care of her (laughs) and you certainly don't honor her, then what you say doesn't make you a husband, does it? You're not a husband. You're contrary to what a husband is. And your marriage ceremony is a lie. And falsehood. And she has a right to an annulment. Because you lied. You tell me you believe in Jesus, but you don't do what Jesus said to do. Your claim to be a Christian is a lie. It's false. Because you're not doing. Your confession is not just what comes out of your mouth. Your confession is what you do. And Jesus makes that clear. That if you love him, you will keep his commandments. Because your love for him controls your actions. That's what faith is. Faith is probity. It controls your actions. It makes you do things a certain way. If we go back to that article and and we look at uh, some of the things that we see uh, being espoused in that article, uh, uh, you know, back again, he says, inevitably lead to the break up of our order. You know, the Amish fellow saying that if we're looking not to one another, but looking to the state, people outside of our order, that this will cause our order to break up. Because what binds our orders, not contracts, covenants, and constitutions... But our dependence and love for one another. And of course, that's what bound original Christians. A love for one another. You know, Jefferson wrote in 1802, the article tells us this, to the to the Baptists of Danbury, Connecticut, that there should be a wall of separation between the church and the state. If the church is practicing that religion you know providing for the needy of their society through faith hope and charity in the perfect law of liberty and not depending in any way shape or form for that welfare from the world because it has to be unspotted by the world and he's not talking the planet he's not talking you know the globe but you have to your religion has to be unspotted by the globe he's talking constitutional order or system of government and i keep repeating that phrase because that's what you see in thers as you also see it in online bible concordances where it talks about the world is a a system an orderly system a constitutional order or system of government it's an order the government is an order the church is an order the church cannot depend upon the world the state there's a separation between them. And the truth is, the church in the wilderness, which was the Levites, was separate from the people. Originally, was separate from the world. Jesus talks about this all the time. To be in the world, but not of the world. And he's talking to his ministers. That he's going to a point that he thinks you need, even though you think you don't need ministers. Oh, we can just walk around and be Christians. No, you can't, because that's not pursuing the kingdom of God. In order to pursue the kingdom of God, you have to pursue ministers who qualify as ministers of Christ. And to do what Christ said ministers must do. And, and be bound together, not by constitutions or contracts or covenants, but bound together by this interdependence for your religion. Again, religion, pure religion, is the taking care of the needy of your society. You have to look to one another. That means you you come together in a congregation not for what you can get, but for what you can give. Back in the days of Jefferson, they feared that a minority religion could be subjected to a federal government acknowledging a national religion. And, And so the article goes on and talks about the Johnson Amendment named for Lyndon Johnson is a provision in the U.S. tax code that prohibits all 501c3 nonprofit organizations from endorsing or opposing political candidates. If churches involve themselves in politi- politics, then indeed that creates a reverse problem where the state can be taken over by one religion or a, a and uh, oppress all others, so it can do both ways. So they can, you know, kind of go both ways. Historically, religions have often seized governments and uh, outlawed all other religions like we saw in Saudi Arabia. But the reverse also uh, can take places where government becomes a religion. And again, once you change the definition of religion from performance of your duty to God and your fellow man, change it from pure religion to taking care of the needy, and look to the government to take care of the needy, government has gotten into the religion business. Social security, as we see it in the United States, or national insurance as we see it in other countries, are religious programs. Socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. And you, most Christians today, have no religion. They don't go to church to take care of the needy and practice pure religion. They don't go to church to take care of the social welfare of the people in their congregations. Their ministers are there to tickle their ears and make them feel good about what they think about God. Because they've fallen for the change in the definition of religion. They have accepted that religion is what they think about God. That is total egoism. They're egotistical maniacs who think that what I think about the church, what I think about Christ, what I think about God, is my religion. That's what you believe in. You believe in what you think about God. You don't believe in what Jesus actually said to do. You, you have faith in the creation of an image of Christ in God that you have created in your own mind. The modern church is in idolatry. They have created an image of God that is contrary to what we see Christ saying and doing and teaching. And they get you to believe that. Whether you're Baptist or Lutheran or Methodist, doesn't make any difference. Now, I'm not condemning them. I'm just saying that's what's going on. They condemn themselves. I don't have to condemn them. You can see it. They're not doing what Jesus said. Just the same as the Jews in Israel are not doing what Moses said. They have a conscripted army. That's contrary to what Samuel told them. If you... that. if if you have a government with a conscripted army you know for a fact that they have rejected God because Samuel said that's what you will see when the people reject God they will elect a government that is powerful enough to take their sons and daughters and in Israel both the sons and daughters are conscripted they will have You know, uh, diverse weights and measures, you know, diverse coins, worthless money. They won't have gold and silver in their pockets based on weights and measures. They'll have coinage and notes and all that. And they have all that. They will have progressive income tax, which is usury. That's a use tax upon your own labor, upon your land. They have all that in Israel. All that's contrary to Moses. And what Moses taught, and certainly contrary to what Christ taught. They don't operate by faith, open charity. They operate by force, fear, and violence. And even though they've been very successful, they will not be successful always. But that has no, nothing to do with prophecy, that that land over there. That's completely a delusion. Because the kingdom of God is not made by hands. It's not by, made by drawing out borders on the ground. Israel was wherever... The faithful put their foot, whether it was in Tarsus or in uh, uh, Scandinavia or wherever the faithful went. That's the kingdom of heaven. The temple was never to be built out of dead stones, but living stones. That's those ministers. And the altars were to be of clay. That's you. And those stones, that's volunteers who operate by faith, open charity. And the red heifer is not a cow <laughs> or a heifer. It's, uh, it's, those are metaphors. And you've unmoored the metaphor and you've lost your way. So he goes on to say in the article, in this instance concerning taxation in direct conflict with religion, a group of Amish presented a petition to Congress with 14,000 signatures. Naturally, Cong- Congress ignored them. Uh, The Amish reasonably questioned what uh, possible harm they could do by not paying into Social Security. We do not want to be burdensome, but we do not want to lose our birthright to everlasting glory. Therefore, we must do all we can to live our faith. The IRS moved to go after the Amish and seize their bank accounts. The problem was they had none. The IRS then sought to go after anyone buying milk from Amish and attack their payments to divert them to the IRS. Most simply refused uh, for such a scheme would happen just once and end the business. The IRS, refusing to consider any religious principles, moved in to seize property, in this case of the Amish and that meant cows and horses. They would rather have the Amish die than respect anyone's right to religion. This is the article. I'm not saying this. It, actually, Valentine Byler of the Amish community in Pennsylvania owed uh, four years of IRS taxes, and the IRS, of course, tacked on interest and penalties uh, to raise it up to three hundred um, and eight dollars and ninety six cents. Of it, Byler argued. His religious forbid uh, paying for insurance. But, of course, Social Security is non-insurance. <laughs> so, that argument was faulty to begin with. But, anyway, the IRS said uh, that was a technicality and that it was uh, reality, just a tax, which, of course, is true. Goes on, uh, has no, this uh, bailer or Viler, it, I actually spell it differently here, uh, has no bank account to seize and they issued a summons to appear in court for a charge of contempt. The judge in the Federal District Court of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, according to a Reader's Digest article, angrily demanded that the IRS agents, don't you have anything better to do than to take a peaceful man off his farm and drag him into court? And the judge then dismissed the case. The IRS never gives up. The IRS had to issue a statement on April 18, 1961, in which they said, since Mr. Byler had no bank account against which to levy for the tax due, it was decided as a last desperate measure to resort to the seizure of sale of his personal property. The IRS seized the three Byler's six horses, <laughs> three of uh, his six horses, uh, while he was actually plowing the ground for the spring planting. The IRS then sold the three horses at auction on May 1st, 1961, getting $460. They then used, which I can guarantee you those horses were worth more than that, and this to satisfy the $308 debt, and then charged him with $113 in expenses and graciously returned $37.89. Uh, uh, all of which, all this activity is costing the government far more than they, they would receive. The incident made national news and was being used by the, the, the communists to show how capitalism was ruthless. And New York Herald Tribune reported that story with, uh, with a, a bold headline, "Welfareism Gone Mad. And, of course, the amazing thing is the IRS did not see the insanity of what they were doing. They were just trying to bring all the Amish into some sort of line. I'm, I'm sure that uh, the Amish all gathered forces and the guy got all his fields plowed and and it meant very little. I mean, Amish are fairly well off. They go out and they they buy farms with cash. You know, they, they do well because they, it's not how much you make, it's how much you spend. But, again, I'm not telling everybody to become Amish. I'm trying to get you to think outside of the box and realize what really is going on here. The IRS is saying that it's a tax. It's not insurance. And, of course, the guy who wrote the plan said it wasn't insurance. And there are many other sources. The the Supreme Court says it's not insurance. As a matter of fact, you could owe the tax and not get a single benefit. They could remove all benefits which, of course, is what Pharaoh did. You're not going to get any more straw. You're not going to get any more benefits, but you still have to pay the tax. And you'll probably see that if, if collapse doesn't come first. But uh, And you're already seeing it to some degree as they cut benefits. Most of the benefits they're cutting, they're cutting because of inflation. They just don't increase the amount of payment that you receive. And therefore, inflation, you know, rising of rents and everything else, is eating up what you you may receive. You have to remember now, Social Security is bankrupt. There is no money in any separate Social Security fund. Social Security is totally bankrupt because the United States is totally bankrupt. It doesn't have any money. It's operating in the red. The only way you can get any payment from Social Security is to borrow money against the future, which is borrow money against the future of your children and your grandchildren and your neighbor's children and grandchildren. So, with every Social Security check you receive, you curse your children. So, all these prophecies from Peter and Paul and Jesus Christ, they've all taken place. You curse your children. You've become merchandise. You belong to them. You pray to the fathers of the earth. You don't have pure religion. You call yourself a Christian, but you're actually workers of iniquity. And one of the reasons is because you, some of you out there actually think we don't need ministers to believe in Jesus because you think the practice of religion is what you think about God. But that isn't the definition of religion. It's certainly not the definition of pure religion. And you can't just be care, caring about the widows and orphans in your little congregation because that's not kingdom. You have to care about Widows and orphans on the other side of the world, all the way in Australia. Or if you're in Australia, all the way in the United States. You have to care about, but how do you even know where they are? How do you know know who's who? Well, you don't because you don't seek the kingdom of God. You don't seek the government of God, which is another form of government. A government that operates by faith, hope, and charity, not by force, fear, and violence. And unless you're gathering in a network of congregations, free assemblies, caring for one another through sacrifice and service, you're not a Christian. Now, all we're doing is giving you an opportunity. We created a website. You can go to preparingyou.com. You can go to hisholychurch.org. You can go to the network links and you can sign up on an email group. And then you can find a congregation in your local area as close as you can. We 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 still have people who are, you know, out in the middle of the country or even on the West Coast or East Coast picking ministers on the opposite coast. And why? Because they think religion is what they think about God. They shouldn't be doing that. They should be picking ministers as close to them as possible. Now, obviously... They have the right to choose whoever they want. But if they're choosing a minister that is very far away, where are the members of their congregation? Do they know every member of their congregation? They must because they are a congregation, a free assembly. They they don't necessarily have to live within five miles of each other. They don't have to meet in the same room every day. But they have to start creating the bonds of a free assembly where you care about one another. And so they should be working and striving to do that. So they should get on those local groups that are based on geography and say, let's form a congregation, a free assembly here. Let's meet here as close as we can, even if it's only by phone at first. But then let's see if we can't find more people in our area so that we can make a network of congregations. That's striving and seeking the kingdom of God. People working together to find more people that want to live by faith, hope, and charity instead of force, fear, and violence. Are you looking for that? Well, then you have to look in your own backyard without losing sight of the kingdom, which is all the other networks of congregations. This is what you have to do because, see, when you went and your parents went and your grandparents went and got Social Security numbers, you entered into the bondage of Egypt. And that bondage was from generation to generation. One generation decided to do that, and Israel was in bondage for 400 years. And they didn't get out of bondage till disaster was striking on a daily basis, and they had to not look to the federal or the Pharaoh's Emergency Ministry Auxiliary uh, Agency, but they looked to their own Faith Emergency Ministry Auxiliary, which was through Moses. It was very easy for Joshua to organize the people into the tens, hundreds, and thousands because they were already doing it. That concept of tens, hundreds, and thousands was not invented by Joshua. It had been around since before Nimrod. Nimrod used the same thing, but he was using force, fear, and violence. But Enoch was using the same thing, but he was using faith, hope, and charity. These are the two governments that exist in the world. All the others are just mixes of the same. The article goes on to say that the IRS chief of collections was forced to respond claiming he was unaware... Of the plowing situation. Plowing never occurred to me. Uh, I live in an apartment. To show the mentality of those who are bureaucrats. He then said, we don't ask people their race or religion when we administer the tax laws. People have no right to use their religion as an excuse not to pay taxes. And they don't. But they do have a right to use their religion to oppose the state religion. Because, you know, this was this was what was going on. You have to realize that all the temples, oh, I shouldn't say all the temples because there were a variety of temples. Some were actually more like investment brokers. But uh, many of the temples of Rome, certainly the temple in Jerusalem, That had once been based on the support of that temple was based on free will offerings and now become based on taxes levied by the government and collected by Gabi and Molokai ministers who would go out and they'd pace off your field and know how much grain you were going to produce and they knew how much they were going to receive in taxes because Herod had followed this scheme. That we see in Social Security and other subsequent acts, which is based on socialism. Socialism is the religion you get when you have no pure religion. You can quote me on that. The original quote was just religion, but I'm going to add the word pure religion. Socialism is the religion you get when you don't practice pure religion. And the modern church does not practice pure religion. When Obamacare came out, they just made the Amish exempt. They're just exempt because they're already taking care of one another. Phony Christians, fake Christians, apostate Christians, non-Christian Christians who are making the word of God to none effect, they're not exempt because they haven't been seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. They haven't been seeking pure religion. They aren't taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. They think religion is what they think, not what they do. But Jesus said, it's not what you think or what you say, it's what you do. Faith is a conviction. It's not what you think. Think is a belief, but faith is a conviction. Now, we use that word belief in a number of different ways. You can't just think you love Jesus, you have to actually love Jesus. You cannot think you love an imaginary Jesus that your ministers have created for you. The article goes on to say the IRS was then compelled to issue press releases in 1961 stating that the Amish stance that Social Security payments, in their opinion, are insurance premiums and not taxes. They therefore will not pay the premium nor accept any of the benefits. Uh, The Amish met with the IRS commissioner in September of 1961 in Washington, D.C., and they cited several Bible passages, including 1 Timothy 5.8, which uh, says, but if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Uh, The public outrage at the conduct of the IRS was international. But the fact is if everybody who claimed to be Christians were Christians in America none of this would have ever taken place. You've only got small little groups here and there that even have an assemblance of what the early Christians were doing. And we need to repent and turn around and change that. And not just think we changed that. Anyway, we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I, I, we're not going to get a chance to go through the entire article, uh, so I'm going to skip around a little bit here. But uh, it's important to understand some of the things that uh, were uh, discussed in, in the article. The, and again, I'm not advising people to become Amish, but uh, I actually am just advising people to become Christian. And there are problems with the Amish thinking as well, but we're not going to pick on those guys because they're actually doing a better job than most of the other Christians. The Amish argued that they were uh, entitled to an exemption based on the First Amendment. Well, no. They, They really should be saying that they were entitled to an exclusion. The true church, his holy church, I didn't start it. Christ did. Very important because Christ was around before 1950, and I'll explain why I say that, that I'm just trying to conform to Christ. I'm not a separate sect of the Christian religion. I am a, uh, seeking to be a minister of Christ, and if if I am, then I will depend entirely upon the Holy Spirit for my comforter, not upon anybody else. The... Uh, they uh, so they're not the, the true church is not looking for an exemption based on the first amendment they are looking for the exclusion of Christ that there is another king one Jesus and that is we are separate from all other governments that we are we belong to Jesus as ministers of Jesus the average congregant first century church congregant did not belong to God They might belong to the government. They might belong to a master. We see that where somebody was actually a slave to somebody else. And Paul says, go back and serve him. You're not getting out of your obligations by seeking the kingdom of God. Now, because of a unique, and we won't go through all the details, because of the unique things that were going on in history and law at the time of Jesus Christ, and because of what the Pharisees said was that if you got the baptism of Jesus Christ instead of the baptism of Herod, you were going to be cast out of that system. Once you were cast out, you were literally, when you got the baptism of Jesus Christ, you were opting out of this system of social welfare that was set up by Herod in the temple and run by the government, which we see in Matthew twenty-three twenty-three. Christians were cast out of that system. They were in another system entirely. Now, the Amish, many of the Amish never signed up for Social Security. They weren't looking to sign up for Social Security. They didn't have a Social Security number even. And, and still many of them today don't have Social Security numbers. Because that's a voluntary act to go and get that. Even though it may, you may have gotten yours because your parents got it. But if you have one, you can't just throw it away. No matter where you, you can go to another country, they'll make you get one there. They'll call it national insurance or or social insurance number, but uh, they'll have another one there. It's everywhere in the world. There is no place to escape to. The whole world has been whoring after this form of bondage, servitude, this core V system of statutory servitude. The attack on the Amish was just, it was so silly and ridiculous that it got a lot of press. And the IRS agreed to stop further seizures until the case was settled. And the Senate promised to pass a bill in Congress. But after a while, the Amish, you know, when they hired lawyers to challenge the conflict between the taxing powers and the First Amendment, they began to think that if we lose this case before the gods of the Supreme Court, who decide what is good and evil, then. We we may be you know we lose everything, and of course Congress was beginning to think that uh, if they won the case, then all of a sudden we're in trouble. But the reality is the case of Christianity, and I won't I won't give you the specifics. The, the true case of the true church established by Jesus Christ is what Jesus said it was. The real argument is what Jesus said the argument was. Jesus says, my kingdom's not of your world. You don't have the right to sit in a judgment seat to judge good and evil of my kingdom. This is where Jesus is completely separate. He's not looking for an exemption. He's excluded because he is separate. And that's where the church needs to be. And the Amish don't really have a means by which to say that. Because they're not all that separate, they're pretty separate, but they're not all that separate, so you need to you know and i'm I'm not going to give you the details just don't have time right now and and the fact is is some of this is not meant for general consumption in genesis twenty six five if you go back there it says God says, Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws." And that included tithing, because he did tithe. God's law of tithing gives you the choice as to who to tithe to, when to tithe to them, etc. Abraham tithe to Melchizedek, who was what? The righteous king of Salem. What Salem? Peace. Melchizedek, king of Salem, means righteous king of peace. And for you know thousands of years, everybody agreed that Melchizedek was Shem. Who was inheritor of the world, and he but nobody knows who Shem blessed until Abraham because Shem was still alive when Abraham was alive according to bible chronology, but anyway that's another whole story. so what does it say in matthew twenty three twenty three Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites who had set up a system of social welfare through the temple where you signed up and you had to pay in. And they went out and collected what you paid then, you hypocrites. For you pay tithes of mint and anus, what, and Cummins, what is this? They actually, you know, that was a plant that could be grown in your windowsill. And they would actually come and count the branches on the plant to know how many of those, one-tenth of those branches had to go to the temple. Because it was a compelled tax. They were enforcing the tax. They were no longer free assemblies. They were collecting the tithe. But they omitted the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you have done and not leave the others undone. He called them blind guides which strain at gnats and swallow camels. That's what the IRS, the IRS is the priests of your religion. They're the Gabi and Molokai collectors. They go out and collect because you signed up with that temple or your parents signed you up. And, of course, the kingdom of God is from generation to generation. So, all I'm pointing out is you are in bondage to the world, to the fathers of the earth. And the remedy is exactly what it was at the time of Moses, exactly what it was at the time of Christ. If you owe the tax, pay the tax. But start gleaning in the field at night for your benefits. Gleaning. You have to go out there and share amongst yourselves. And now you don't want to just share with anybody because some people are slothful. They don't work. They don't eat. So you have to come together. And and the more local your congregation, the better. But that local congregation must pick pick a minister that is going to be in a congregation of ministers that is going to connect you with nine other congregations. And then those nine with a hundred. And those hundred with a thousand. Because you're looking for the kingdom. You're seeking the kingdom. It's all still faith, open charity, but it's a kingdom. And you can live like the Amish or you can live like other people. You can be all kinds of different, you know, you don't have to grow a beard and you don't have to wear suspenders. That's the way it works in the kingdom. But you have to practice pure religion. And again, you've heard me say it so many times that ministers today don't even know what the weightier matters are. They don't even know what religion is. You go ask your pastor, what is pure religion? And what does it mean to be unspotted by the world? See what answer you get. Go ask your minister, who are the fathers of the earth? Will they tell you that all the senators of Rome were called potri? They were actually called conscripted potries conscripted fathers. Will they tell you that? Do they even know that? No, they don't. Because the modern Bible college is a den of terrorists to true Christianity. They do not teach the charitable practices of caring for one another. They teach, go to the government if you have a need. If you fall on a need for welfare. Don't go to church. Go to the government. That's what they teach you. That's what they say. They tell you you don't have to do anything. You know, actually, there, there's a lot more in this article, and I'll probably cover it in the afternoon show. Uh, but I'll go through it a little bit at a uh, at a time and, and cut out some of the the kind of different side tracks. He ends up talking about Karl Marx. You know, who Karl and actually, I, I put up several pages. Just this morning, on our wiki site, one is cl- classical liberalism, and another one I, I uh, did a page on liberalism itself, and uh, uh, which includes liberal socialism. Trying to put these things in perspective, and I'll probably do a show on the that, that topic of what these things actually mean. But the reality is, is that what's one of the things that Jesus said is that. You know you do not put new wine in old wineskins because those old wineskins will rupture and break. Christ was tr- teaching a whole new thing to a people, but yet it wasn't a whole new thing. it was exactly what Moses was saying because Moses and Jesus were in agreement, but it seemed like a whole new thing. He wasn't there to reform Herod he wasn't there to reform the Pharisees. He was going to take the kingdom away from them. Same laws that were the laws of God back in the days of Abraham. Same laws that were the laws of God back in the days of Moses. You know, thou shalt make no covenants with them and their gods where they get to decide what is good and evil for you. That you were to covet your neighbor's goods. So socialism is out. Uh, any form of socialism, you know, democratic socialism or any kind of socialism is out, liberal socialism out, because they all rely on coveting your neighbor's goods. And uh, you have to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You have to be seeking a network, a government that is bound together by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. In order to have that, you will need some ministers. Who qualify as the ministers of the church established by Christ? Who do what Jesus said His ministers had to do, His disciples had to do, and they have to be people who operate by love, in walk and walk in the ways of Jesus Christ. That's hard to find. But again, you know, go back to this original idea that if your church your congregation is not seeking to gather as a government, as a kingdom. With ministers who do not exercise authority one over the other. But provide benefaction, benefits. But only through faith, hope, and charity. Not through borrowing money. Not through usury. Not through force. Not through violence. But only through charity. If that's not what you're looking for, then you're not looking for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because that's what the kingdom of God and his righteousness is. Jesus was the king of that government and he get, He would not even appoint men in place to rule over you. To dictate to you. To make you do this, that, or the other thing or Whatever. The doctrines of Jesus are there already. They're in the biblical text. You don't need any other book. And they're in clear enough. They're in clear enough, even in the King James. So if you want to only use the King James, you can only use the King. You, that's fine. But you show me where you're not praying to the fathers of the earth for your benefits. You show me where you are coming together to love one another. Because that's what Jesus said to do. That you are seeking to practice that pure religion, which is love and charity. So pure that it doesn't depend on any benefits from the world. It's unspotted by the world. You show me that, and I'll believe that you're a Christian. You can't show me that, then you're not a Christian, in my eyes. And probably not in God's eyes. And if you're not striving for that type and that form of government, you're a worker of iniquity. And if Jesus were to come back tomorrow, he'd boot you out. You tell me you believe, you love, you all these things, but you don't show me. Your witness, your confession and your actions do not show me that that's the kind of person you are. But that's good news to know that. Because you can change, you can alter, you can repent, you can go the other way, and in going the other way, you will come face to faces with your own inadequacies, and your own shortcomings, and your own fallings and your failings, and your st- and the stumbling blocks that have caused you to stumble in the way, to trip and not go the way. So, when once you turn around and repent and start seeking that actual kingdom of God for the living and not just for the dead, then knowledge will come to you. Knowledge of what you need to know, what you need to do, how to do it. And others will gather together with you to do what you need to do. And there isn't any time to waste in this process. There never was. But you have wasted time You have followed falsehoods. You have believed lies. And now it's time for you to change and go the other way. To turn around and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what we're trying to do through the network. So, some people, somebody was saying, I didn't know how to join the network or how to do these things. It's not complicated. You go to his holy church dot org and uh, there's network links there at the top or you can go to preparing you dot com and uh, there on the left hand side of the page you'll see join the network and you click on that link and uh, since this is internet radio and most of the people are have access to the internet who are hearing my voice on the radio now if you're hearing in a recording later on that you can get most everybody can get on the internet somewhere. At least you can today. I can't guarantee you'll be able to do that tomorrow. So you need to start building this network now. You need to start seeking that kingdom now. Because that kingdom will not be dependent upon the network. If you if if you you need to seek that network, and you're going to find all kinds of people in the network. You're going to find good, bad, and ugly people in the network. <laughs> but that's okay because that challenges your ability to forgive. You you go to that network page, and you can go down there, and it's a list of every state and uh, many countries or areas. And you click on that, and you join that email network. But that's not joining the living network. That's just joining an electronic network, which could disappear in the twinkling of an eye. So then you have to seek to gather with others. I actually heard people would not come to a meeting because somebody else was going to be at the meeting, a gathering. That is insane. That is ridiculous. That is nonsense. That is not the way of Christ. Christ gathered with prostitutes and publicans. And he came into the room and sat and ate with them and taught them. In what? In hope that they repent. And that's what everybody should be doing. Set aside your agenda and start seeking the agenda of Jesus Christ. Because that's what he was doing. He was gathering with almost anybody. Now, that doesn't mean that you want to support the wrong in other people. You don't want them to to, uh, encourage sin. You want to discourage sin. You want to discourage selfishness. You want to discourage vanity and pride and foolishness. But you have to gather in order to do that. And pray before you gather that you will go into that gathering with the Holy Spirit. And that whatever lessons that God has for you to learn, that you will learn in that gathering. These are free assemblies. These aren't corporate entities. So when you gather in these groups, you gather to seek that kingdom. And, you know, I I always remember that this has happened a number of times now where People said that they wanted to be a minister of his holy church. And, you know, in other words, conform to Christ because his holy church is not a corporate entity. The church is the body of Christ, but we're just seeking to be that church. His holy church is not not a name. It's a phrase describing what the church must be. The church must belong to Jesus Christ. It must be separate from the world. That's That's his. That's holy. The church is the called out. It must be called out spiritually by Christ to be his holy called out, his separate called out. That's that's this description. That's been around since before 1950. <laughs> it's been around before 1850 and 1750 and 1050. It's been around since Jesus Christ. It's apostolic. It's passed down from the apostles from minister to minister to minister. And I want to pass it down to more ministers. But those ministers must conform to Jesus Christ. And we lay out in the Free Church Report, we have a study coming up uh, on the Free Church Report. I I think it starts, uh, I had it here in front of me just a little bit ago. (laughs) May, uh, I think we picked uh, May 9th is the day that we're talking about uh, doing it, and we're starting to put the, that together. It will be a call-in, and it'll be 6 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And if you're on the network, you'll see all kinds of announcements of that. And we're going to go through the Free Church Report and what the church is actually supposed to be doing, how it's supposed to do doing, how it is excluded already. It is separate from the state. But the church is the ministers called out To serve the people in free assemblies. People aren't free anymore. They're in bondage. But they will have an opportunity for freedom. And liberty under God. Coming up soon. Hopefully not too soon. Because you're not ready for that freedom under God. Because you don't know how to walk in the kingdom. You haven't been looking for the kingdom. You've been looking for self-righteousness and self-justification. And you need to repent of that. And come together in in the order of Christ, in the ways of Christ. And walk in those ways and learn what it means to walk in those ways. And until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. God bless.